Hi, everyone. I'm Shake. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we meet the people that build the tech that's changing our world. Today, we're diving into the world of language models and, lingu- and linguistics with Corinne Golda, founder of West Valley AI. Thanks for joining us, Corinne. Thanks. It's great to be here, Shake. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you have such a cool background, and I'm going to dive into that shortly. But before we start, Corinne, if you had to describe your job and what you do to a five-year-old, what would you say? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I do two things. So one thing is that I find ways for humans to communicate with computers using everyday language. But in order to do that, I have to do something that's also very challenging, which is find ways for humans to communicate with each other about how to find ways to communicate with computers using everyday language. (laughs) That's probably a much bigger problem to solve. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, Now, you started your career as as a linguist. Um, Can you share your career story and how you got where you are for managing large language models? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I got my undergrad degree in linguistics at University of California at Santa Cruz and then went on to get my my graduate degree at Ohio State in theoretical syntax and semantics. And all of that was really stemmed from a a deep interest in language that started early on. And I just, I, I love the fact that language is just such a deep part of our humanity and it's 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 our wisdom, it's our personality, it's our identity, it's uh, it's it's how we connect. So that's really what it all kind of started from. Um, and then when I was at Ohio State, I was working on uh, using a theoretical framework developed by my advisor um, called HPSG. It was uh, it was a kind of a framework that was really lended itself to being implemented uh, in in you know computational systems. Mm-hmm. And so there was a startup in Mountain View called YY Software that was using this parser uh, to uh, automate responses to emails. And so my advisor recommended me for a job there. It turned out I was employee number five. I had to sort of figure everything out on my own um, with with the help of like some a really great you know team of engineers and, and yeah. entrepreneurs. So. Um, so that was how I kind of started it, and and that that got me hooked on startups. So that's just how I always saw myself as someone who um, could uh, just you know pick things up and run with them. And so I went on to join four more startups after that. And there, there's sort of a common thread there of building software that is uh, driven by natural language processing. Mm-hmm. So so with that, I eventually worked my way up to executive roles, and and that. That also kind of added another dimension, uh, which is, you know, bringing, it brought me closer to the business side, to understanding customer needs. And so I really started to enjoy that challenge of being the bridge across the range of teams, that communication uh, angle that I mentioned, um, you know, teams that have a various degrees of technical and business depth and helping them understand each other. Awesome. awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so just to, to close out the story, um, from there I went on to my most recent role at Amazon. Uh, I was there for a couple of years leading a group of about 20 linguists on the AI data team at AWS. A mm-hmm. uh, great team responsible for providing the training and evaluation data sets for all the various language technology programs that you can uh, you can use with AWS. 
And you really, this, this data side of things, um, getting the data right is really, I think, at the heart of any AI operation. Uh, it, it determines what the models learn. It determines how we decide whether they're working. So, um, so again, like that was a really, really fascinating and, uh, and rewarding position. And I saw that you recently founded a West Valley AI. What are you up to there? Yeah, so West Valley AI is uh, is my strategic consulting firm, and I what I want to do is help companies who want to adopt AI in a way that's really clearly aligned with their business values um, and their their business objectives. So the, the services I provide there really focus on language data because I'm a linguist. And as I mentioned, these these projects really begin and end with the data. So I, I can I can kind of describe to you a little bit more about you know exactly <laughs> exactly what yep, I mean yep. by all of that. Yeah. So um, so you know part of it is about evaluating whether it's possible to achieve your goals with the with the data you have. So you know suppose you're uh, take a simple example, right? You're trying to uh, create some kind of bespoke uh, sentiment analysis and and you want to do it on product reviews, but all you have is Twitter data. Is that going to be good enough or are you going to have to uh, get a different mix in there? How can you leverage the data you have and identify and overcome any kind of uh, risks that might be involved with it not being quite the right data? Because um, that's, that's a really common scenario. Um, the, the other thing is uh, designing the workflows for data labeling and human evaluation. So there, there's really no way to avoid humans in the loop. Uh, I, I know, you know, the, these these large language models they seem almost human already. So you know, aren't we done with uh, with humans having to evaluate things? But um, but honestly, like even with the most uh, advanced generative AI, you you need to have uh, you need to have some some person who is um, who, you know understands the goals and and can do that kind of evaluation. So. Um, there are, though, I will say, a lot of really interesting techniques to to automate and scale up these workflows. Um, you know, including using large language models as maybe you know one of one of the the ways of evaluating whether your your output for your, if your model is correct. But um, but I think there's a there, there's a lot of really interesting science behind all of that. Um, and then also just kind of defining the metrics that you need um, to calculate, is your project on track? So you might think like, well, once my product's in production, I can see, you know, based on how people use it, how well it's working. But but you kind of want to know ahead of time before you you put it out there, whether it's really on the right track or not. So what metrics do you need to uh, measure uh, you know things like like accuracy or appropriateness of, of responses, and and how do you make sure they're well understood by all the stakeholders, right? I think it's important to have some kind of dashboard or regular reporting that keeps the um, you know the the business and technical teams aligned. You know, continuous alignment across teams again is just so critical. Uh, the, the most common issue I see is you know you get surprises cropping up late in the project because there was some kind of misunderstanding about you know what what we mean by accuracy or something really fundamental like that. That's a uh, that's a great point there. Along those lines of uh, keeping teams on track and making sure um, that everyone's com- communicating, you mentioned uh, uh, different types of dashboards to unify the metrics there. Are there any particular types of tools or frameworks that you'd recommend that teams use to accomplish that? Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I think as far as like kind of, uh, you know, dashboards and, and things like that, you know, there's, there's anything, you know, like Tableau or whatever will, will work fine for you. I think, um, there's, there's a lot of really, uh, you know, interesting companies out there right now who are working on things like, um, uh, you know, kind of d- democratizing, uh, access to the data or, uh, enabling subject matter experts to get closer to the data, um, I, I will personally use just something simple like um, like a data labeling platform, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of them out there. I, I'm not, I, I've, I've used Appen a lot. There's um, there's other ones like Datasore, and um, I you know I, I'm, I'm not advocating for particular one. They're they're all kind of good in their own way. But um, but just having the subject matter experts get exposed to the data and and doing doing their own own labeling, and then kind of seeing like uh, you know the error analysis on where the models are going wrong, um, any kind of reporting or visualization that, that really, um, makes sure that, you know, the, uh, you know, what's going on is really well understood by everybody. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, taking a step uh, back a bit, um, as it's impossible to, uh, learn about what's going on in the world of AI and not come across all the, concerns around it from a, from a ethical perspective and um, a term that I see, see a lot is responsible AI. Um, mm-hmm. As you're advising different companies on what their strategies should, should be, what the limits of data are, how do you evaluate and develop product roadmaps to um, tackle biases that might be inherent in language models in the underlying data sources? Uh, yeah, so it, it depends a lot on the product itself, but I think, you know, a lot a lot of the the, the, the recent concerns have been around uh, large language models in particular. I will say, you know, these kinds of biases have existed in all kinds of AI systems for quite a while now, and, and we've seen this in, uh, you know, in facial recognition, uh, you know, Black people are more likely to be falsely arrested using facial recognition technologies because their faces are not represented as much in the training data sets. I mean, uh, this this kind of thing spans a, a lot of um, areas. Uh, but I think, you know, it, it kind of has been even more of an issue with large language models because they do just sort of vacuum up the internet and then, uh, in, in you know, internalize whatever kinds of, of biases are out there. And I, I, so you, I think when you're thinking about a product and a product roadmap, you need to think about, um, you know, what kind of data your models have been trained on. If you're using large language models, um, you know, what, what, what sorts of biases do they have that could affect uh, your, your workflows or your customers? And I, I guess I, maybe I'll give a, like a simple example or, yeah, you know, one, one aspect of this that might kind of show what the, how these things happen. Um, so, so, so statistically speaking, um, doctors are more likely to be men. Nurses are more likely to be women, right? That's that's just, especially at least in the United States, that's how it is. Um, so you, if you take a generative model, um, like the ones used for ChatGPT, it, it deals in probabilities. So if you ask it to make up stories or scenarios involving doctors and nurses, it will go with the most sort of probable scenario of making the doctors men and the nurses women. And that 
might not be a problem for any given story. You know, that's that's fine. It kind of reflects an aspect of, of our life. We there's there's bias in the real world, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, but in aggregate, it means that you're not going to get the kind of diversity that in the, your output that you're looking for. So if you kind of think about that kind of bias, sort of repeated across all different kinds of uh, of of areas, then that's that's how it's going to it's going to amplify and reinforce uh, whatever is out there and and kind of converge to uh, to something that's kind of monolithic in a way that you know the world is not really monolithic. And and there's another effect that this bias has and which is I think is really interesting, which is on accuracy. So suppose you have some text where the doctor is female and the nurse is male, and you ask a large language model to summarize that story for you. That's a summarization is a very common use case for for using language models like this. Uh, so that story will likely contain male and female pronouns referring to those people. Um, but because of the model's preference for understanding doctors to be male and nurses to be female, it will be more likely to be have accuracy issues there and get confused about what pronoun refers to what and what actually happened in the story. So when you, when you think about, you know, like how, how biases uh, sort of insert themselves, there's, there's all kinds of like, you know, repercussions that, that you have to think about. And there's, there's data sets that have been developed um, to probe for things like gender bias. And you can apply these data sets off the shelf to see, um, to see whether, you know, and another another thing that's come up in the past, uh, and I'm not going to attribute this to any particular model that's out there right now, but um, because of certain, uh, you know, ethnicities being, uh, you know, being att- attributed certain attributes in the world, you end up having uh, the the model starts to learn that there's there's more positive connotations for for some and and not for others. And this has led to systems in the past, for example, that do sentiment analysis where you have what seems like a neutral sentence like, I ate Mexican food for dinner last night. And you compare that to I ate Italian food for dinner last night. And the the Mexican food example is going to get lower, uh, a lower sentiment score. It'll be um, more likely to be interpreted as negative. Yeah. So, you know, the, these kinds of things, there are, like I said, kind of people are aware of this. And so they've developed data sets to try to kind of probe for that. Um, but you also think to, need to think about the, you know, what what's going on in your particular use case. You'll probably want to develop some, um, you know, custom evaluation metrics for, for detecting bias like that. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you, you mentioned a data set to help identify gender bias, but are there any other say, industry-accepted, like, bank of prompts and unit tests, any tools out there that help to identify bias? Or is it very much, as you're saying, developing your, your own tests there? I, I, I believe that there's a lot out there now. I, um, I, I can't name all, all of them off the top of my head, but uh, it's certainly been a very active area of research, and, uh, and they're, they're constantly evolving. Uh, I, I will say, though, with 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 anything, it's just really important to to think about how, um, you know, kind of kind of back to my sentiment examples of you know product versus Twitter reviews. Things that seem at, at a very high level to be the same thing might not really be the yeah. same thing. Um, so you, you need to um, you know leverage what you can off the shelf, but think about how that might be different from what you're actually using. Nice, awesome, cool. 
Well, shifting gears a bit, um, looking at the field of AI as a whole, it seems like there's two groundbreaking announcements every single week. (laughs) And the pace of changes is only accelerating. Since linguistics is such a core component of it there, how do you see the field of linguistics as a whole evolving as AI advances? Yeah, yeah, really interesting because there's been a, a kind of a, a, a long um, history of, um, you know, it hasn't always been called AI, right? So it, that, that yeah. goes in and out of fashion. It's a it's kind of a fashionable marketing term, but uh, I'll interpret when you're when you say AI, I'll interpret that as meaning kind of machine learning uh, in general. Um, that's how it's usually applied right now. Uh, and and I will say that you know in some ways linguistics uh, has it's been taught you know as I learned it in grad school uh, kind of theoretical uh, syntax and semantics is what I what I took. There's also of course fields of um, phonology and phonetics and, uh, and so it's, it's a pretty broad ranging field, um, but it tends to be focused on symbolic representations of structure and meaning. So you're trying to develop a system which uh, predicts whether uh, a given sequence or uh, you know a, a given uh, structure is is possible and what meaning that that kind of sentence might have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's really how linguistics has been thought of for a long time. Uh, whereas machine learning techniques, they tend to take more of a, a brute force approach, right? They're looking for statistical patterns, and they're they're trying to just you know learn learn from the data itself, whether that's uh, you know sort of uh, semi-supervised in the case of large language models where you're trying to predict the next word uh, or whether it's, um, you know, just learning from labeled data. So here's a bunch of tweets. Some of them are labeled positive, some negative, some neutral, um, you know, set out a machine learning model to try to figure out based on, you know, what what the words are, you know, what the, what the, yeah. what the label is going to be. So, so that, you know, again, sort of, sort of this probabilistic, uh, approach. Um, and there's been, you know, a lot of pushback from a certain segment of linguists on, you know, like that's, that's not linguistics, first of all, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's just statistics. Um, and, and it doesn't tell us anything, right? It, it you know, maybe it, it, maybe it kind of, maybe it kind of sort of works for, for your applications that you're trying to build, but it doesn't advance our field in any way. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's the way that, um, and, and, and for a long time too, I, uh, you know, people have said like there, there's a, there's a limit to what you can do with that. Now that, you know, large language models are on the scene. Um, I think people are reevaluating what those limits might be. And I'm not going to make any bets on what the limits are because <laughs> I don't know, but um but I think, you know, there is a balance there where I think a lot of linguists will agree that there is some element of statistical probability in how humans learn language, right? When, when we process language, we do, we do in a way try to predict the next word, mm-hmm. right? Or we try to predict where things are going. If we didn't, our, it would not be, you know, an efficient way to use our brains. We, we do learn from, from those kinds of probabilistic patterns ourselves, um, and at the same time, the, the kinds of errors that machine learning models make, uh, like the, 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 the pronoun confusion that I mentioned before, those, those kind of reveal the ways that they're not really encoding meaning in the same way that humans are. 
they're not creating, um, you know, kind of, uh, they're not evaluating truth conditions and saying, you know, that this is the, uh, this sentence has this meaning because these are its components. And when I build them up in a certain way, this is the result of, of, of what it means. And so, you know, so I, I think there's the, there's strengths and weaknesses in both approaches. If we're looking to, um, you know, make natural language processing work. And, and in practice, actually, most AI systems in production today do incorporate a combination of machine learning and rules-based systems. So you'll, you'll have, you know, some, uh, some symbolic systems to, to, mm-hmm. to do what they do best, and you have some machine learning to do what it does best, and, uh, and you combine those into a, a hybrid system. So that's really kind of more what, what's going on under the hood for most of the, the systems you're using today. And and I would say you know again you asked about how does how is the field of linguistics evolving? Um, I, I think you know even if you're a really staunch advocate of symbolic systems, there's still a lot of ways in which machine learning offers uh, to to process and understand language data um, that you know can kind of help uh, you know bootstrap or or provide new insights into you know theoretical fields of study. More reason to collaborate. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the last uh, question I have for you is: um, Let's say I'm a linguist just starting my career, and I'm interested in getting involved in the world of AI. What are the roles I should be looking for, and how would you evaluate different jobs? Yeah, I, I think one uh, one basic thing to think about is if you're more interested in research or in applied science. I, I personally have always been more uh, interested in an in, in application, and it was kind of a, a relief when I when I finished grad school and it, everything felt so hypothetical and you know armchair and on paper. I mean, you know, I had a lot of data I was working with. It wasn't it wasn't completely you know hypothetical or anything, but but you know, at the end of the day, I was like, what did I accomplish? I, I put another paper out in the world. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just me. That's just my own, like, you know, what I want to do is go out and build things that people use and uh, that, you know, even if they don't work perfectly from a theoretical perspective, um, they are, you know, they, they serve the purpose. So kind of figure out where, where your inclinations are and, uh, and, and, and start kind of, you know, go, go, you know, figuring out what direction you want to go in from there. Um, and even if you're looking at um, more applied science and you want to join a company where you're really building pro- <coughs> excuse me, building products, you know, different companies work at a different pace. So think about, you know, what kind of pace you want to work at. <coughs> excuse me. Um, and look at who your colleagues will be. You know, do you, who do you want to collaborate with? Who do you want to learn from? And what kind of mark do you want to make on the world? So I think AI has... Um, you know, so much potential right now to go in so many different directions. And uh, linguists are a really important part of that conversation and that development. So so think about what your contribution will be to the kind of world that you want to see. What are the ch- types of um, job titles and things like that that usually signify um, having value for a linguist? Um, yeah, so I, 
if you're kind of going a more technical route and if you're if you're going into computational linguistics which is a a, a really um you know a, a really uh, hot field right now and has been for a little while um you can you could be a um you can be an applied scientist or a research scientist. Uh, those are a couple of kind of standard titles. Um, let's see, you could be, um, you know, if you get even more technical, you could be a machine learning engineer. Excuse me, I'm going to get a little water here. Yeah, of course. Um, at Amazon, the, the, the role that I had and the people who reported to me, we were language engineers. Um, as I said, those are the people who who construct and evaluate data sets. It's a great um, title. Yeah, yeah. At at Google, I believe those same people are called analytical linguists. So um, yeah, so there's kind of a range of titles. I think you want to sort of search on skill sets. The titles are are a little bit hard right. to to nail down. Makes sense. Makes sense. Cool. Well, um, Curry, if any listeners want to um, connect with you on online, what's generally the Best way to get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I, I respond to direct messages. So uh, yeah, DM me and I'll respond. I'm, I'm in the process of getting my website up. Hopefully it'll <laughs> it'll be up by the time your listeners hear this, but um, <laughs> you can now, should also be able to check things out there. I also do, um, you know, speaking engagements and I'm on, you know, various podcasts. So just, you know, keep an eye out for, uh, for more of that. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh- Thanks again for joining uh, today and uh, sharing more about your your world. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Shake. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 